0: Welcome to MuggleCast, your weekly ride into the Wizarding World fandom. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric.
1: I'm Micah.
2: And I'm Laura.
0: On today's episode, we'll hear from Micah and Eric about the new flagship Harry Potter store in New York because they went today. We'll touch on last week's Pride discussion again with some additional thoughts from our listeners. And we'll read and discuss a bunch of great emails we've received over the past month. This is primarily a Muggle Mail episode, but we are also going to hear about the store. So Mike and Eric, today you were in New York. Yeah. The store that you've been so excited
1: about. Well, first off, I, I need to give a big shout out and thank you to, to Meg and to Eric, but, but to Meg first and foremost, who yeah. went online. And, and this is something that's important. And we should probably mention the person who sent us the email. There is a QR code that you need to scan in order to get a time to come to the store. So they put out this little QR code stand starting at 7 a.m. every morning. And basically, Eric can speak better to this because he was there at that time. I was not.
3: <laughs> yeah, it was Brianna. Thank you, Brianna, for writing that 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 letter to Micah because he got in touch with me and I had to do some YouTube searches for figuring out how this was going to work. But yeah, it's a physical QR code that is, I guess <laughs> they say released. They, they basically put it on a stand outside the front entrance to the store starting at 7. And at 7 a.m. this morning, there was already a line. Um, but that wow. QR code takes you to a virtual queue. And that virtual queue doesn't really mean much, but you do tell them how many people are coming. And then you later get an SMS text message with a time to enter.
0: Okay. Now, I don't want to get into the details here, but right. wait a second. Does everybody have to gather around the QR code every morning? Because it's a new code every
3: morning? I
1: That's a good question.
3: Yeah, that's a I don't know if people are sharing like the same like QR code digitally and then other people are like oh, able okay. to get it. I would think it would be a different link every day, which is right. a shame, but that's the only way they can make sure <laughs> that people are doing it. the thing is it's 7 a.m. and there was like very I dropped early. Meg off at like 705 and there was already a line around the building from yeah. park to Broadway. And it uh like just the store doesn't open till 10 so regardless you're there in that general area now when you do get a text message and the text message says it is now your time to go in we it we didn't like i guess in previous iterations it gave you a window it told you that things were going to happen at three thirty or whatever if it wasn't 330 it just says now and you do have an hour to get okay. in the store
0: from that moment okay yeah. it would have been funny if it was like a five minute window yeah, no, <laughs>
3: they, they don't care they if you're over back over in new they jersey they don't want you hanging around the store if you can't get in yeah but they're also like it's a, a quick window like if you have an hour you know manhattan traffic like you just right really, it won't happen you do kind of
0: have to kind of hang around a little bit and still. i'm sure they'll change this once crowds die down it's just recently open so they have to do this but okay so how was the store itself did it live up to expectations
1: one other th- important thing, though, just for listeners, is that you can have up to six people in your party. Okay. Store, I thought, was was great. Uh, there were two levels. I think there's a third that has a virtual reality experience on it, but it wasn't currently open because of COVID. There are a lot of areas just to kind of go and check out. Oh, and Andrew, if you're still a member of the Harry Potter fan club, you can- <laughs> Oh, gosh. Scan- your uh, phone in different locations throughout the store. And if you collect enough of them, they will give you a special prize when you go to the checkout counter.
3: What is the prize? It is a tangible, exciting pin. (laughs) Like a back, a piece of cardboard back
1: pin. It's basically the commemorative pin for that location. You know how all the different locations have pins? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I will say, Aaron, right? That was the...
3: Yes, Aaron.
1: Nice woman's name who took care of us at checkout. She actually gave our entire party pins – even though she to didn't reward have to do Micah's that
3: success. Yeah. That was really, really Well, nice
1: my limited success. Cause I don't <laughs> think I got to <laughs> I, the I actual, I don't know how
3: much of this we can say, <laughs> but yeah, she, I, I would hate to get anybody fired for giving us rewards, but we were all able to experience the, the joy that is Receiving the completion of in. the scavenger hunt. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Hey, that's nice. That's very nice of her. That's nice. Yeah. Like everybody there was very friendly. That's one thing I'd say, like the store, the staff knew what they were doing. The staff are Harry Potter fans. It's clear. And like, They're all happy to be there. Uh, The theming is exactly what you'd come to expect if you had been the sort of Harry Potter fan who's been to the gift shops down in the Universal Studios theme parks uh, or at the exhibition. They do have props and um, like costumes and things and like remnants from the Harry Potter films, like extra ones that aren't currently on display anywhere else. Yeah. And and it's really, you know, really interestingly put together and kind of fun. To check out, if you are in New York and if you're a morning person, I'd say why not go check it out.
1: Pay attention to detail and 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 look up. I would say that was one of the things that I was mm-hmm. always surprised by is that there are a lot of different uh, you know little um, Easter eggs around the store, um, and then there are just things that you know you you just walk past and you don't even realize. They do have some props there uh, from the films that are part of that scavenger hunt. Uh, There's one really cool section where they have uh, a number of books from the series that are just dangling from the ceiling.
0: Very nice touch. Uh,
1: So yeah, it's an experience. Just go and check it out if you can. I don't know if hopefully it opens up a bit more once the the pandemic hopefully subsides a bit. I, I wonder if they'll do away with that QR code or they'll keep it just because they know how popular potter can be It's a good way
3: of staggering entrance because the other thing is you don't want too many people in one room not because of covid at all but just because to be able to shop properly and be able to you know switch between merchandise you'd hate for it to be it's a kind of place where if there were too many people you'd be averse to like really explore and so the thing that you wanted you know that you came in there for it'd be hard to kind of find that magical connection
0: what is kind yeah. of funny is
3: they'll happily pack the Universal
0: Theme Park gift stores with people. You know, no limits there. Yeah. Well, that's because <laughs> it's the really gift frustrating.
3: stores, some of them are exits for the ride. So no, it's I like know. you can't like prevent people from going through the exits. Well, I get But they did that by design. And, yeah. you know, it's
0: just way too packed to really enjoy all the details in there.
3: Yeah. A couple more things to Micah's points about looking up and other such points. Um, for instance, in the confectioner's area, there's chocolate frogs that are like, in action poses that are like poised, you know, when Harry's jumps out the window. Like if you look up there, that's really cool. There's this area of personalization uh, where you can get any number of things like robes, uh, diaries, and even the uh, Tri-Wizard tournament, uh, dual color, like Cedric's and Harry's jerseys mm. um, customized with your name.
2: Mm-hmm. And
3: there's like nine characters limit and they like heat press your back like any name you choose onto the back of this I will say quite a lot of things were sold out um because of like not you know failure to account for demand um which is just played any opening of all time not just Harry Potter um they did not have my size otherwise I would have walked away with that um one of those for sure how was the butter beer because we've heard it was different it was it's not different uh oh. so far as so far as my taste buds go. It's exactly like the first butterbeer I ever tasted in 2010 in Orlando, Florida. How about the bottled one? Did you try that? Ha- bought it, have not tried it. Okay, but maybe that's. Eric the one is that's...
1: in love with the design, oh, which yeah. is actually really cool.
3: Well, Mina Lima does. So we know that the butterbeer bar, which is just a sec- section where they serve the butterbeer, uh, got this huge makeover where they glue like bottles and it's a whole structure. But the label for the bottles, designed, of course, by the house of Mina Lima. Um is just really, really colorful. It's like incorporates a lot of oranges and blues and greens and is really just an amazing design. But again, that was one of the other things that was sold out was the prints of that.
1: Mm-hmm. So I
3: settled for taking some actual butterbeers
1: uh, yeah. along with me. And one other funny thing that we noticed about the chocolate frogs is that they're pretty close to date, right, Eric?
0: <laughs> oh, like they're <laughs> yeah. about to expire? <laughs> well, yeah, we think Meg it's noticed because this.
1: they mm. were bought when the store was first planning to open. Oh. And they need to get rid of the stock <gasps> because
3: this this is a story in three parts. First, we noticed that they were heavily discounted. And we were like, man, oh my the gosh. The, when the theme park opened up, a chocolate frog was $25. Like, I remember that specifically. One chocolate frog yeah. in, a, in a metal tin with one witches and wizards card was $25. These in the confectioner's area were $15 and they were marked down. There was a sign saying that they used to be $15 and were now like, I want to say $12. And we we're just like, wow, in celebration of the opening of the store, like chocolate frogs are like less than half of what they, you know, have charged for them in the past. Super affordable. Also, now they come with five famous switches and wizards cards. Unbelievable.
1: Wow. What but
3: then Meg checked the Meg, checked the date and it was June 30th, 2021, which is in oh, 13 days. And, and then the third part of the story is we actually found just this bin behind the area of the books. It was not well lit where there's like an entire, um, like, you know, chest high bin of more chocolate frogs also with the same expiration date. So like PSA, They are about to get heavily discounted. Harry Potter (laughs) New York has so many chocolate frogs. They do not, they cannot sell fast enough. They're just
0: going to start giving them away at some point. They're going to go out on the street and start just throwing them at
3: people. I think that's exactly, I don't know what happens when they pass date, but I certainly hope they don't end up in a landfill or on the streets Mm -hmm. of New York for Harry Potter fans to consume.
2: I feel like sometimes with expiration dates, they're a little cautious. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think you're going to, Explode if you eat that on July 1st.
3: Yeah. But it might be a tactic, a successful tactic for a fan to be like, hey, I, I was going to pay, you know, $12 for this, but it's like past
2: date. Can
3: I get a discount? Yeah. Yeah. Haggle with them. Uh, <laughs> you might ha- be yeah. Able be to. like, listen, you're trying to, you know, you're trying to sell me a
1: past date chocolate I will, food. I-, I will say, though, for the most part, I thought the merchandise was reasonably priced. Like I was expecting yeah. it to be more expensive mm. in some cases. Like even the, what you were looking at, Eric, in terms of the, uh, the jerseys, mm. uh, I thought was, was not unreasonable, but uh, definitely Again. also make sure you try on Hagrid's shoes while you're in the store. <laughs> Eric and I both did that.
0: Micah looks that tiny fun. cause the shoes are huge and he's standing <laughs> yeah. behind them. It's a fun it's little photo.
1: <laughs> yeah. So that was fun. And then, uh, we made sure to pick up each of you something. Oh, Andrew, wow. Laura,
2: Aww, thank you. Please
0: let it be an expired chocolate frog and make sure <laughs> it arrives in July. You got us. <laughs>
2: <Damn>. <laughs>
0: an expired chocolate
2: frog. Thanks, guys.
3: So nice.
2: That was very kind of you. Thank you.
1: I think both of you will enjoy yours.
3: Okay. Yeah, I cool. agree. We labored very hard to find
0: him. Oh, wow. How, how much time did you spend in the store?
3: Oh, that's a good question. So the website says set aside an hour once you're in um a fan review youtube that i was watching said they took 2 hours uh it took us about 215 215 damn yeah. i've we, never you know, been there was also in the shop a shop that
1: lot one. of people though there was there yeah, was
3: a, there fair a amount of people, people uh, okay though. but it was like us trying to as harry potter fans we want to see all the detail we want to see all the right. special touches. see i was closer to 215 i, I think an hour is lofty for amb- like very ambitious but yeah set aside 2 hours for it easily and not including the time. If you start the timer at 7 a.m. when you have to be there for the QR code, it's like five or six hours,
1: so right. just be prepared It's a that. commitment, but-
3: <laughs> Just like the Cursed Child. <laughs> well. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, believe it or not, they had a book section, and the Cursed Child script book is on sale there. On but sale. I almost didn't notice it. It Well, for sale. Oh, okay. I wouldn't say on sale. That was uh, maybe a miscommunication. But there the, was also
1: um, a, a poster at checkout for Cursed Child returning to Broadway. And there was one with Dobby that said, I saved Hogwarts. Wish they were selling that.
0: That's Mm. for the virtual reality experience. Yes. Dobby's in that show. Yeah, I saw a little trailer for that.
1: That's cute, though.
3: Yeah, in a couple of weeks, you'll have to go back, Micah. Those VR experiences are really, you know, really cool in general.
1: Well, Andrew Mm -hmm. said he's going to be in New York in... August. Well, there you
0: go. Yeah, I which one of us is going to get there at 7 a.m. and get the QR code (laughs) thing? Neither of us. Honestly, I don't even think I'm going to spend a night, so I might not even
3: get to see you. Sorry. Yeah, Micah, you you owe us one of going early and getting the uh, QR code as a local.
1: (laughs) Eric, you can keep that gift for yourself that we were going to give (laughs) in. Oh,
3: fantastic. No,
0: I just mean I'm going to be in and out of the city. I got stuff to do. Just one thing to do. That's Mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. Thanks for the info. Glad you two enjoyed it. And yeah, I'll try to check it out. Okay, so last week we had this great discussion about being an LGBTQ plus person in the Harry Potter fandom, and we got a little more feedback about that discussion, uh, because we went on our Patreon and we said to our supporters, what characters do you believe are queer in Harry Potter? This one's from Davey. This is really random, but I always thought the writer and vampire Slughorn introduces to Harry at the Christmas party in Half-Blood Prince were meant to be a couple. Eldred Warple, an old student of mine, author of Blood Brothers, My Life Amongst the Vampires, and of course, his friend Sanguini. It seemed more logical to me that he would bring his partner instead of just a friend or writing subject. Although I guess Harry and Hermione also brought
3: friends. I like that one. That's a little curveball that you're not expecting. So thank you, yeah. baby. I like that a lot. I think it makes a lot of sense. That's, that's one you really think about. I, li- I like that a lot.
2: And Sanguini being a vampire, I feel like there could Like, you could read that as an extra layer of implication Mm. just because of the historical and, like, folkloric representation of vampires as being inherently sexual. Um, So Uh. the fact that Eldred chose to bring Sanguini with him could, I think provide you the interpretation that there is more there than just friendship.
3: It would give us the gay vampire that Twilight never did. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'd like to pick up on what Greta has thrown down here regarding Remus and Sirius, a big topic that we covered last week. Uh, She says, Remus asking Harry if Sirius really deserves the Dementor's kiss while he still believes Sirius to be a traitor. Yet when it comes to Pettigrew, Remus has no qualms about killing him or giving him to the Dementors. That seems a little suspicious for romance. And Remus and Sirius living together at Grimald Place in year five and giving Harry a joint Christmas present sounds pretty couple I
0: hmm.
3: I couldn't agree more. Those are two excellent, uh, you know, things to point out. Definitely. Thanks,
2: Greta.
1: Yeah. And then Danielle wrote in to say, Harry is bisexual. There's a very limited number of people he describes as attractive in the books, and more than half of them are men. I know that straight men can absolutely use their eyes and see that other men are handsome, but Harry just gives me bi vibes. And Amanda says, Harry being bi or pansexual is definitely one of my favorite head canons.
0: I'm into this. Yeah. i would never seen it that way, but now I will. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and Nadia had this to say, I feel like Percy makes so much sense as being gay. I constantly think about what if Penelope was actually Philip the whole time.
3: I'm going to be thinking about that one for a while.
0: Well, thanks, everybody who submitted some answers. There were some more on our Patreon. We just don't have time to get to them all today. Before we jump into emails, it's time for a word from a new sponsor who is doing earbuds different. With how much we rely on our devices, it's easy to forget about the hardware that we're born with, like the ear. Just like fingerprints, no two are exactly alike. That's why your earbuds probably cause you some discomfort or even physical pain after a while. Our new sponsor, Ultimate Ears Fits, true wireless, custom-fit earbuds are here to change that. These earbuds are incredible. The first time you set them up, they will literally change their shape to perfectly fit within your ears. They do this through a molding process the first time you put them on. You can actually feel the earbuds gently warm up as they're molding to your ears. Then they light up purple, and that makes the molds harden. This sounds like something that wizards would dream up. It is such a good idea. Combine this with the Soundmasters at Ultimate Ears, and not only will they fit great, but you'll also get amazing sounds. These are built on industry-leading expertise, trusted by pro musicians and hi-fi enthusiasts for over 25 years. I got to experience these, and I was really blown away. They truly fit perfectly, they sound amazing, and I really think they're changing the consumer headphone game. And rest easy, because if you try FITS and don't love them as much as I do, no worries. Ultimate Ears offers a 30-day money-back guarantee. Plus, you'll get free shipping, free returns, and a one-year warranty. For a limited time, get 15% off your pair of Ultimate Ears FITS True Wireless Earbuds at ue.com fits. Just use promo code MuggleCast at checkout. That's 15% off with promo code MuggleCast at ue.com fits. Okay, so we have some voicemails, and Micah said this first one was really funny. He added this at the last minute. I haven't listened yet, so.
1: Yeah. Well, also, I think it's worth saying as we kind of jump into this mailbag, it's it's really a mailbag. I mean, we haven't done one in a number of weeks, so all of these voicemails and muggle mails are from a lot of different episodes, so just want to make sure that the listeners know that in advance. Okay. But yeah, this first one's pretty good.
4: Hey, uh, I'm just calling with Father's Day coming up to see if you guys ever plan on talking about Draco Malfoy's real dad, Dobby. We all know it's real. You guys also failed to mention it on the fan fiction episode, a little bit of Dobby and Miss Malfoy action, which is why Lucius is so mad all the time and probably doesn't like Draco very much. And there's like the core daddy issues there. Um, I think what really needs to happen this Father's Day is for Draco to really confront his real dad, maybe like Maury style, Jerry Springer, would bring out Dobby to really meet his real son, Draco Malfoy. <laughs> okay, I'll shut up and listen.
1: Dobby, you are the father. Is this the same
2: person who called him with that theory before? Yep.
3: Sir, sir, you are. (laughs) (laughs) Can you imagine like how messed up Draco? I mean, Draco is messed up, but like your aunt killed your real dad. Like just unbelievable dysfunction in the Malfoy family.
2: Oh, man. Well, whoever called in with that, I'm just whatever you're doing to get into that headspace. I'm very curious.
0: (laughs) And we support it. Share
2: your secrets.
0: (laughs) I like the thought of Lucius just being, like, super mad about that. That explains all his (laughs) anger over the years. Now when I reread Harry Potter, that's what I'm going to be thinking about. (laughs) Daddy Dobby, (laughs) maker of Draco. (laughs) Sir, just keep running with this. Come up with some more evidence as to why Dobby is the father. I mean, are there any qualities in Draco that were passed down from Dobby? Let's bring this to the next level. Big ears. I think I've got all the evidence I need. Also, I find it very interesting this person didn't share their name. What are you trying to hide?
1: Yeah, we've had a couple (laughs) of those voicemails, speaking of no names.
4: Hey, guys. I just wanted to give you some feedback on the uh, Battle of Hogwarts as as far as the save and who you would have killed off. I definitely would have saved Tonks. I think you're right. She decided she uh, definitely needed a better arc, and I think that she could have been amazing being there for not only Teddy but the trio moving forward, and I would have killed Lucius Malfoy. Why did he live? I mean, he was really the dark side between Draco and Narcissa. I mean, I think their life would have been even better with him passing. So that's my two cents. Uh, Love you guys. I've listened to you since day one. Uh, We've met at many leaky cons and things like that. So I'll wait for next week's episode. Have a great day. Bye.
0: Well, thank you for Um, your longtime listenership. That person just forgot to say their name. The Dobby theory person just doesn't want to expose themselves.
3: Right. They probably have a career in politics or something.
0: (laughs) No, I like this. And again, uh, uh, we're really going in on Lucius today. So watch out. Okay. Next one changes gears.
4: Hey, mobile cast. This is MJ. After hearing you guys talk about Professor Sprout and her relationship with Snape, I developed this headcanon after hearing you guys talk about it, that perhaps they do have a good relationship. Um, I don't know how old Professor Sprout is in the books, but after some thought, I think she might have been able to teach Snape at some point. And so I think that in her heart of hearts, she probably feels a soft spot towards him in the same way that she had a soft spot for Neville as the underdog, and they must have a relationship with her supplying her, um, supplying him with supplies for, um, for potions. And the only reason that we don't see them uh, have that kind of affinity towards one another in the books is because she would give away the plot or the fact that Snape is nice after all. Um, I don't mean to say that he would have like a chummy relationship with her, but just that they, you know, have an understanding and and he is kind towards her. Um, and, and I think that would be really cute. And it also would feed that whole thing with fans that every Slytherin has to have a designated uh, Hufflepuff friend. And I think that just, that's lovely. Anyway, uh, thank you guys for the discussion. I really enjoyed it and I always love the show. Bye.
2: Yeah, I think your timeline thought is correct because if we know that sprout and mcgonagall were friends when they went to hogwarts together i think that would make it possible for sprout to have taught snape Mm.
3: Mm -hmm. i think that's right and yeah yeah, and i definitely i love the idea that we didn't see this friendship because snape has to appear isolated to the reader if he has more friends at hogwarts besides dumbledore that gives away his allegiance a little bit
1: yeah like Laura, what you said, because I think, do we ever get mentions of um, James and Sirius and Remus being taught by McGonagall? Because if that were the case, then certainly if Sprout were around the same time as her, she would have taught all of them. So I like that connection there. And and I like the fact that, you know, perhaps not everybody had a terrible relationship with Snape at Hogwarts.
3: (laughs) Yeah. There. I think it's in The Three Broomsticks where they say, never did see them ever quite far apart, Peter Pettigrew and young Sirius mm-hmm. Black. And I think either McGonagall says it or she acknowledges sort of feeling bad for Peter. And and that sort of is like a teacherly kind of mm-hmm. feeling that McGonagall expresses. So, yeah, she taught them. And she taught Snape.
2: Uh, and what if Sprout saw how much the Marauders were bullying Snape? She, like, took him under her wing, similar to how she did with Neville.
3: Mm. I love that comparison. And
2: then that's where Snape really develops his affinity for being creative with potions ingredients. Oh, like this is it. so good. Love it, MJ.
0: One more voicemail from Beth concerning an interesting way to introduce your kids to Harry Potter.
4: Hi, Muggle Cast. My name is Bess, and I live in North Carolina, and I am a huge fan of you guys. I have read all the Harry Potter books, I've audio all the books, and I've seen all the movies, and as I get older, I'm sharing it with my kids, and I heard your talk about how parents are introducing their kids to Harry Potter, and the, even though my daughter, who is eight, has seen the Sorcerer's Stone movie and started reading the books, her and her brother actually really love playing Lego Harry Potter. And that's been a really cool introduction into the story because they ask a lot of questions, but they also get to play the game and engage. So it's a really nice way. And it's kind of, it's, it's a little bit watered down. So that way they don't have to get all of the intense stuff right away. So that's all I wanted to share with you guys. Keep doing a great show. I love it. Yay. All right. (laughs) Have a great afternoon. Bye. Yay. I love that.
3: Yeah. That's such a perfect introduction to the series, especially for kids. Um, the Lego games, you know, Micah and I are both huge fans of in particular, we've interviewed the game director, Arthur Parsons before on a previous episode of MuggleCast and they're just really good adaptations. I think first and foremost, they're, they're fun Lego games, but they really capture the spirit of the books. And so your children will be like more than prepared, I think, to actually read the books, Beth. I think it's a perfect intro. Um, and actually on that subject, I actually talk about the Lego uh, games on the most recent episode of Potterless podcast with Mike Schubert. Uh, we discuss Lego Harry Potter years one through four, the first game in that series, and it's going to be two episodes where we do that, oh, um, okay. that podcast is coming out very shortly. Plus, uh, Lego Harry
0: Potter goes on sale all the time. I think it was like literally yeah. five dollars for yeah. both
3: games a week or two ago. Yep. So, On the PlayStation Network, Remastered is $3.99 for both games.
1: Oh,
0: there you mm-hmm. go. Wow. They're giving it away like an expired chocolate frog.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I knew Eric was going to like that voicemail in particular, but I beautiful. can't agree more about the Lego Harry Potter games. They're just, if you are a hardcore fan of the books, then those are the games that you should play because it's clear that Arthur and, and the rest of the team took that into consideration when they made the games.
0: Well, and isn't that kind of sad that that's the best
3: adaptation of the book so far?
1: Not like... sad, but disappointing. <laughs> yeah.
3: Maybe. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's it's certainly quizzical. I think there was a lull and it kind of burned out a little bit with the movie game tie-ins and things. And then Lego Harry Potter came around at the right time to really revitalize, like say, oh no, a Harry Potter video game can be fun. And it is. So
0: Plus, it's the only place where you will discover Draco's Boggart.
1: yeah it's it's funny too because i remember when i was trying to unlock characters and i couldn't figure out how i would always direct message arthur on twitter (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh get the answer he wouldn't he would he would make it a little bit more difficult like he wouldn't just straight up give the answer but or i should say he made it a little bit easier to to figure it out
0: micah you probably annoyed him You know how many people probably come to him like, can you give me a tip on the game that you created?
1: But he he knew (laughs) us. He was on the show. I think Eric actually interviewed him in person.
3: Yeah. If you do it now, though, he's going to be like, that was nine years ago, dude. I've done so many games since (laughs) Yeah, dude, that game's on sale. I don't make any money anymore. Yeah.
2: Well, jumping into emails now this first one is from christina christina says i had to pop in and let you all know how much i loved reminiscing about the harry potter fandom in the early 2000s in your latest episode i'm 28 now and i've been listening since around episode 20 or so i remember listening to the podcast on my old dell mp3 player in my bunk (laughs) bed and how much peace and opening, how much peace the opening theme song brought me. Listening to you guys talk about the MuggleNet themes, countdown banners, and working for MuggleNet brought back so many great memories. I must admit, I always looked up to the hosts because you're all a few years older than me, and I thought it was so cool that you were working for MuggleNet and hosting the podcast at such young ages. Thank you all so much for your passion, hard work, and creativity over the years. And then is signed off xoxo christina like gossip girl oh <laughs> how sweet Xoxo
3: back christina. yeah we uh-huh. love
2: you thank you for sticking with us all this time
3: yeah
0: old dell mp3 player why did you say andrew like oh a... i
1: just figured that's something that you would have had
0: oh i was a fan of dell computers i don't think i had their mp3 player
1: before I you became like a... the apple fanboy <laughs>
3: I had like a little voice recorder. I just put an e waste pile to donate, but it recorded in wave format. And I remember getting it Office Max a million years ago. Also mm. recorded in my bunk bed. So, <laughs> very big thing. <laughs> I will say, I will take the opportunity to say, Muppet Night is still going and has over 150, mostly female volunteers who are awesome at their job. So, Worth checking the website out. Just a random plug for MuggleNet yeah. these days.
2: And also, MuggleNet has a new book out, right, Eric?
3: Yeah, The uh, this is going to sound like an ad, but <laughs> they actually- This wasn't planned. No, 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 no. This, I swear this was not planned, but the Bestiary, the compendium of fantastic beasts in the Wizarding World, um, has just been put out and is on uh, available on the internet webs. And we'll link to it in the show notes, too. I swear this is not an ad. <laughs> not a planned ad. Um, just use yeah, code got a new a Mugglecast. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm and and like that's the thing is like MuggleNet now, if we can talk about it, is publishing books. We interviewed the um authors of the character compendium a couple of months ago yeah. and had a great time. Definitely check that episode out. Um but it's just like become a powerhouse of publishing and they're doing like tie-in books, and it's really just, you know, as passionate as we ever were, um, as Harry Potter fans. That's the kind of passion that they still have that are now, you know, writing these books and and making them available. So it's just really cool resources for Harry Potter fans.
0: Last thing I'll say on this email is that we got a lot of good feedback about this discussion. I had at least one person text me about it. I know it's a good episode when I get a text about it from somebody who normally (laughs) doesn't text me. (laughs) And we will have your mom. No, and we will have another two episodes of fun reminiscing like that coming up starting next week. And yes. I think this will be our first ever two parter discussion. Uh, so we're looking forward to that. Do I have some stories to tell? At least one story to tell <laughs> that is well,
1: scandalous. Speaking of reminiscing, just very quickly, the store was not the only place that Eric and I went today, we were actually at the Barnes and Noble. In Union Square, where we did our first ever live show. We took a photo, we'll share it. But yeah, it's uh, on our
3: IG story at the moment. But I would mention that. We don't, uh, I don't go to Manhattan without visiting the Barnes and Noble Union Square. It just exists in this, in my brain. It has free, you know, leased space. It's where it all happened. The fourth floor now did not have any seating, probably due to COVID, probably hasn't Mm -hmm. for a long time, but the stage was there. And we got a photo in front of it.
0: Yeah, that was where we had our first live podcast. And we really understood just how passionate the MuggleCast audience was. Okay, next email comes from Laura. Not this one, I don't think. Sex education at Hogwarts? I know we've questioned Hogwarts students reading, writing, math education. But one more area I'm curious about is their sex education, especially for Harry. In my, Connecticut, ugh, in my Connecticut public school, we had a changes talk in the fifth grade, but didn't get into safe sex education until middle or high school. I highly doubt that Dursley spoke with Harry about this, so I can't help but laugh at the thought of him putting together mismatched information Ron passed down from Fred. In general, though, there must be teen pregnancies at Hogwarts. I'm a newer listener and found the podcast as I reread the series during quarantine. Keep it up. Thanks. Well, thank you, Laura. Glad to hear from a new listener. That's a great question. How did Harry learn? And oh my gosh, did Ron get info from Fred? Because you know, Fred probably gave him some misleading information to mess with him.
2: (laughs) Well, you have to remember the founders designed the dormitories so that boys could not get into the girls dormitories. So... There's your abstinence protection right there. They weren't going to do it anywhere else. <laughs> Stairwells
3: that turn into slides. But uh, but I I agree yep. with the assessment of there probably must have been pregnancies. I mean we'd see where there when there's educational systems without successful education programs, there are more teen pregnancies, right, Laura?
2: Yes, 100%. I was actually thinking of my home state of Georgia, um, which at least I don't know if this is current now, but when I was in high school, um, our sex ed programs were a complete joke here. And we were number three in the country for teen pregnancies. And we were number one in the country for repeat teen pregnancies. So it's absolutely a reality that if people are not receiving um, quality sexual education at that age that people are going to have unplanned pregnancies. I'm sure that somewhere in the universe of Hogwarts, you could posit that this has happened. It's just, again, we saw the stories through Harry's eyes. So I guess he didn't know anybody that happened to. Um, It would be interesting to know, especially earlier on, um, when people tended to have children a lot younger, I wonder if something like that was more common.
1: Good question. I mean, there is a room that just <laughs> basically shows up whenever you need it. Yep. So <laughs> I need a room with a bed, a room and with Fred a and bed. George know all of the, uh, secret passageways. Yeah. They don't need to worry about whether or not they can, uh, access certain dormitories. Oh,
3: right. You yeah. There's plenty of places. Yeah. Um, So this next email comes from Aphra regarding Trelawney. They say, you guys were talking about Professor Trelawney in the Battle of Hogwarts and how she should have died. So I was thinking about what would be a redeeming point for Trelawney is that if she puts herself in the way of a killing spell aimed for a centaur and dies saying, you didn't predict that, did you? Love to know your thoughts. (laughs) I love this it's so
0: good it <laughs> is so good i'm still laughing at the last email but <laughs> i love this very this is a great idea please tv series make it happen
3: Kill well, we know that centaur's form of divi- uh, divination is like long range it's long form it's like what's going to happen in the next decade is what they see in the stars because the light takes a long time to yeah. Anyway, Trelawney just absolutely would crush it, and now I, I I'm actually starting to convert to Andrew's side here. I, Trelawney should have died. Oh, I'm glad we're convincing mm. you,
2: Andrew. Can I get an impression of Trelawney saying this?
0: <laughs> but like, I can, it, This is a hard one. I mean, I could just do it the standard way. Yeah,
2: but... do it. You didn't predict that, did you? <coughs>
0: <laughs> Can't do that without coughing.
4: Yeah, real and,
1: intense. And, Worth mentioning that uh, Afra is one of our most frequent emailers. So I oh, appreciate you, the creativity on that yeah. one though. Yes. So this next email comes from Riley, who is 14 years old and says, I just listened to your most recent episode where a listener talked about how their school in America sorted them into houses. My Iowan school does this as well. It's a Catholic school. So the houses are named after saints. And then she goes on to say, after your discussion on the Battle of Hogwarts, I made a list of some observations I had while listening about the Marauders and such. I would love to see these details pointed out in the Harry Potter TV show. Sirius and James both saw each other as substitutes for – or sorry, Sirius and Harry both saw each other as substitutes for James. The real reason Peter was a Gryffindor was that he was brave enough to betray his friends. Oh, Sirius died not knowing what Regulus had done. They both died thinking the other hated them. Remus eating chocolate so much probably to try and get rid of his werewolf side because chocolate is poisonous to dogs. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I would love to know what you think. Thanks for a great show. Love, Riley. Yeah, those first two points, I think – I mean all of them are great but I think those first two points are really strong especially how Sirius and Harry both see each other as a substitute for James. And yeah the fact that Pettigrew was brave enough to go ahead and and betray his friends and that's in fact why he is in Gryffindor.
3: Yeah. Well done so,
0: Riley.
2: Yeah, love this.
0: And thanks for the info about your school. Yeah, yeah that's, that's really cool. Neat. Yeah. Yeah.
2: All right. The next one comes from Brett. Brett says, I was listening to the podcast where you were pondering how the Hogwarts students were educated in our muggle academics that are still relevant to wizard lives and had an idea. I'm an early educator and in the world of early learning, it's generally agreed that experiential learning is the best practice. With that said, the Hogwarts students could have been getting their reading, writing, and arithmetic from their core wizarding classes. Potions is teaching math skills, herbology, science, and all their essays and reading assignments help to develop literacy skills and so on. Perhaps the Hogwarts teachers also receive some training in how to assess and support these areas of learning as well, as you don't necessarily need a class specified to the subject, but really educators who know how to integrate these skills into their daily lessons. However, knowing Hogwarts, they probably just assumed a fifth grade education was enough. Let me know what you think. Thank you so much for the podcast. It's been great to have you all by my side these past couple of years, especially lately.
0: And I apologize again for saying that math is not important. I misled people. I'm not. Did you get a text that. for that?
1: Because we got a few emails.
0: Oh, did <laughs> oh, I apologize and I apologize again? No text about that. Maybe those people just blocked me.
1: And I really do like this idea that all of the courses that they're taking actually teach them what they need to know at sort yeah. of the fundamental <laughs> level. It, no, definitely. It beats having to take math, right, Andrew?
0: Yeah. I would rather take potions instead of math for sure.
2: But if you're not strong in mathematics, couldn't it then follow that you would struggle in potions?
0: Can I bring a calculator to potions?
2: Specifically the (laughs) TI
3: 84? Andrew, no, no, the TI 84 doesn't work at home. You're never going
2: to have a calculator in your pocket, okay? You got to learn to do it the old fashioned way.
3: And with that, on the abacus, this magical (laughs) abacus from Diagon Alley.
0: This is from Don. Hey, guys, I'm a relatively new MuggleCast listener, and I love the show. I just listened to the Draco episode, and I think that it is wrong to say whether Snape would or wouldn't forgive Draco, because ultimately Snape has nothing to forgive Draco for. Draco never wronged him. Snape did an unbreakable vow with Narcissa, but ultimately, Dumbledore was the one who directed Snape to kill him and save Draco the pain of becoming a murderer. I also listened to the best and worst of Ron Weasley and wanted to bring up another huge moment that arguably makes Ron one of the best characters. In POA, he literally stands up to Sirius, who is believed to be a murderer and is prepared to fight to protect Harry, even though he has a broken leg. His undying loyalty to his friend surpasses any suffering that he is going through, and that is such a strong moment that is looked over. Thanks so much for giving me a chance to revisit my favorite book series each week. Great point. I mean, I, I was getting at that, your first paragraph concerning Snape and Draco, when we had that discussion. I completely agree with you.
1: I was the one who said that Snape wouldn't forgive. I, I think we were just looking for another character, but uh, I don't think it was that badly reasoned on my end but i do like dawn's counter argument here if i'm being honest it was Mm -hmm. worth asking yeah
3: yeah i think there are certain times especially in book six when so much is on the line that snape would wish that draco were more cooperative and less i guess like concerned about himself but then again he's a 16 year old and no one can really blame him for that so uh this next email comes from hunter who's talking about Draco staying at Hogwarts. My question has to do with your conversation about the worst things Draco said and did in episode 516. You guys mentioned when he said that he felt bad for the students who stayed at Hogwarts over the holidays. I just finished rereading Chamber of Secrets and it reminded me that Draco himself stayed at Hogwarts over Christmas in their second year. Oh! Yeah. It's what made the trio suspicious of him being the heir of Slytherin. They decided to stay as well and use this time to take Polyjuice to see if they could get a confession out of him. We learned that he's not the heir. So why did he stay at Hogwarts in the first place? I can't believe nobody called him out for his mean comments about people who stayed at school and then he stayed himself. What do you guys think? Why did Draco stay at school? Well, maybe his father, Dobby, was staying at school that Christmas. (laughs) Oh, that's right. He got a letter from somebody claiming to be his long lost father and it ended up just being i
2: don't know maybe lucius and Narcissa went on a like christmas holiday and yeah. they were therapy. like oh we can just leave the kid at school couples therapy <laughs> but no this is such a good point and it totally shows again that draco projects his greatest insecurities onto everyone else
0: okay more emails to get to but first this week's episode is also sponsored by better help Taking care of your mental health is one of the most important things you can do for yourself. And if you think there's something interfering with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals, check out BetterHelp. They will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist who you can work with via voice, video, or text chat. BetterHelp lets you easily and quickly get started with therapy right from wherever you are right now. Within 48 hours, you can start speaking with a therapist, and the service is available for clients worldwide. Whether you're at home, at work, on the go, in the park, in a Harry Potter store in New York, you can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't have to ever take a time consuming trip to a therapist's office. I use BetterHelp and Meet with a Therapist Weekly, who I speak with via live text chat. We're able to have snappy discussions thanks to being able to see what we're each typing in real time. There's no waiting for the other person to send their message. I really like it. BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is available visit BetterHelp.com MuggleCast. That's Better H-E-L-P and join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and we have a special offer for you. MuggleCast listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com MuggleCast. Again, get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com MuggleCast.
1: Well, to uh, explain, events in the Harry Potter series that have caused some characters to need better help, the Battle of Hogwarts and the Vale uh, in the Department of Mysteries. This email comes from Emily who says, very long time listener, I'm a vulture from the pickle pack days. <laughs> so thank you, Emily.
3: Yeah. Wow, it takes me back. Gak, gag.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that.
3: Gak, gag pickle pack.
1: Emily just wanted to write in and say that I totally resonated with Laura remembering her theory that the final battle was going to pl- take place at the Vale. I remember this being a huge theory floating around the fandom before the final book came out, especially after the book cover was released and no one was guessing that it was the Great Hall due to the orange color scheme. Most of the speculation at the time was that it depicted the Department of Mysteries, specifically the hall where the veil was kept, and that the veil had a greater significance than it ended up having. I think many of us also speculated that the veil had something to do with whatever the Deathly Hallows were going to be. I was so into the theory that the veil was incredibly significant that when the Order of the Phoenix film came out just months before the final book's release, I was furious that in the film... Bellatrix kills Sirius with the killing curse and not a stunning charm like in the book, with him falling through it and Harry expecting him to come out on the other side. Maybe part of me during that short time before the final book would be released had hoped that Sirius would come back from the veil, and the movie dashed those hopes for me. Highly likely. It honestly still bugs me a bit today as a nitpick like so many of David Yates' directorial choices. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed this trip down memory lane from the pre-DH theory days. Love the show and have been really enjoying the conversations these last few episodes.
3: Thank you, Emily. That's a very valuable call out that book Mm -hmm. uh, seven came out just a week or two after movie five. That like it was a skew. Yeah. The summer of Potter, the month of Potter, I think we called it. But um. Yeah, it's kind of askew there. And then after the books were all out, we still got
1: three more movies. So just a really interesting... Did you ever consider that Sirius would come back? Or... Like, did you need the... Like, what she's saying, did you need the movie to affirm that?
3: Sort of. I, I think it definitely did what she's saying. Like, for me, it really dashed all <laughs> remaining hope. Uh, I, was, I was holding out on hope, yeah, because the spell... It's not specific exactly what happens to Sirius. And yeah, we were we were just so close to book seven that okay. it seemed like
1: too much. I feel like they could have left it open-ended in the movie, though. There there was no need for her to say Avada cadavra. I feel people mm. would have gotten what happened. Or yeah. you think it was just have, for moviegoers, you feeling, needed to have that.
2: I have a feeling that this is probably something J.K. Rowling was pretty – um, direct with in terms of, like, giving the films information so that they kind of knew where they were going. And probably for the sake of not needing to contract Gary Oldman, potentially, for movies after that, I could see them wanting to make that more definitive for the movie adaptation, just so that there weren't any questions. But yeah, I remember the days of All the theorizing that Sirius was not dead. You had no idea what it was that hit him and, um, you know, whatever it was just knocked him into the veil versus in the movie he got hit with an AK and then fell into the veil. So it was like double dead, double
3: dead. Sirius Black (laughs) is not dead dot com. Where was that energy when we needed it? (laughs) Well, and the cover, too. I mean, we all, oh, that did yeah. not look but, like the Great Hall. That was no. not the Great Hall. That's one of our best, that's one of our best episodes of all time. What, before the book is out or after? The, yeah, the no, before the cover analysis of that and the deluxe edition of Deathly Hallows, because we were way off So in, off. in both yeah. cases, but like, it just, we had every reason to make the guesses that we did. It was amazing.
2: Perfectly,
1: so Blaine misleading? married Grand Prix.
3: Yeah. Yeah,
1: well, basically. if you, I, I mean- what was the uh the UK cover was Gringotts, right? Yeah, yeah. So at least there wasn't any uh, trickery going on there.
2: No,
0: <laughs> if it was if it was clear that it was the Great Hall, people would have been losing their minds yeah. even more so ahead of the book coming out. I think not that that's a reason to make it less clear.
2: You know what yeah. though? I think it was a perspective choice because if you look at that cover. It almost seems like it's from a, a slightly downward perspective looking up at Harry yeah. and Voldemort. So you're mostly seeing the ceiling, which is, of course, going to look like the sky. Right. So I think it was convenient mm. perspective placement. Yeah. And no. In
0: terms of the pillars and stuff. It's a it's a theatrical ending. It's a grand ending. Right. So maybe that's what she was going for with the pillars. It's the
2: pillar of Storji. Well, yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, the Storji pillars. It looks like the Colosseum.
1: Well, weren't there curtains though? Wasn't it the whole? It, it, she was connecting the first with the last book. Yeah, yes, something to that effect. And I love there that. Are curtains. That's wonderful. Like the veil. Yeah, genuinely mm-hmm. wonderful. But uh, that could be a future episode, though, alternate book covers.
0: Uh, All the times the covers misled us. What do you mean? Like (laughs) what we would have preferred to have seen on the cover? Or it could be a segment. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Poor Jewel. You're just signing her up for Photoshopping work. (laughs) All right. Well,
1: I I honestly can't wait to see Dobby on Jerry Springer. That's (laughs) what I'm most looking forward to.
3: (laughs) Mike is peaked. <laughs> he's, he's happy. He's satisfied. He's like, we got that one in there.
2: Do you think Dobby would have a jubilant reaction to finding out that he's the father? Or would he be one of these like head in his hands? Like, oh, man, oh. I can't believe my life.
0: My kid's a brat. <laughs> How would he react while he was still enslaved versus after he was freed? That's my question. What the difference mm. would be in that reaction? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, Narcissa kind of freedom.
2: Okay, (laughs) we're moving on to the next email. Uh, This is from Addison. Addison says, Hi, Mugglecast. We have been listening for about three months now. I have a question. In Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, when Harry first sees the diary in Moaning Myrtle's bathroom, he really wants to pick up the diary. I was wondering if that has something to do with them both being horcruxes. Interesting. I think that's a safe theory.
1: Or is it klepto? (laughs) The other
3: short for kleptomaniac, a person who has a compulsion to steal since you're eight years old, Addison. I thought I'd make that one easy for you, (laughs) Um, but I'm sure you already knew the word because oftentimes when we get younger people writing in, they're smarter than we are. I think this is an amazing find and I love it immediately and it's um, become adopted into my headcanon. I think that's exactly what was going on then.
0: And math is important. Okay, (laughs) next email from Sam concerning Harry and Ginny's kids. Love the show and the work you do. I'm not sure if you guys have already covered this topic, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on the names of Harry and Ginny's kids. My wife and I often talk about how Ginny has gotten the short end of the straw, having to name all three of her children after people Harry loved. (laughs) I feel like Ginny has been ripped off, and I also feel like it's not fair on Fred who knew Harry for many years and deserved to be named somewhere. Anyway, I'd love to hear what you guys think. Keep up the good work from all, from Australia. Thanks, Sam, for writing in from down under. So George did name one of his kids after Fred. But your point still stands that Ginny had to deal with all of Harry's baggage when it came to naming their kids. I agree. That's nonsense.
2: Yeah, I'm honestly a little surprised that Ginny wouldn't push to name her daughter Molly, for example. That strikes me as Mm. something that would be pretty fitting for her character. But I guess Harry gets precedent because Molly's still around and Lily isn't. I don't know, but I think it's true.
3: Yes, It's another
2: example of like, it's always about Harry. All the time. So
1: true.
0: What is this? Harry Potter, the series,
2: <laughs> give me a
1: break. Also, uh, I, I mean, Albus and Severus weren't the greatest people in the world to name your kid after. Right.
2: Right. What like about You couldn't Remus? have given, at least give one of the kids the middle name, Fred.
3: Or Ron. Is this all fan service? All these names? Maybe, maybe. It's just these people are so traumatized that they're naming their children after these people that have died who were like, maybe not the greatest people. Right. What about Hagrid Ron Potter? <laughs> <laughs> you were named after the two, I don't know, most food loving people. Like, I don't. Well, yeah, also, I, know. I mean, the silliest.
2: that raises a whole other point about how Hagrid gets no credit for being a father figure. So,
3: actually, that's a great point. Yeah. yeah.
1: All right. I have the next email here about twins from Ashley, who says, in reference to Angelina marrying George after dating Fred, I was seeing my husband's twin brother before my husband. While they're identical, they're definitely different people. Many similarities, yes, but unique all the same. The running joke in the family is that next I will move on to their other siblings. Anyway, I just wanted to say, I feel Angelina on this one.
2: (laughs) Yeah, see, sometimes that's just life. And it doesn't sound like there's any hard feelings here.
0: How does the husband's twin feel about all this, though? I must know. Come on, Mugglecast, and we can kind of like bring <laughs> this all, we can tie this all into George, Fred, and Angelina.
3: Yeah, that's such an interesting life experience for a listener to have that, right? That, you know, it's so relevant to our discussion. Yeah. It's so really super cool. Yeah. This next email comes from Caitlin. Uh, it's about muggle clothes and sorting. I have to second Eric's complaint about wizards wearing muggle clothes in the movies. In the books, unless wizards came from muggle families, they almost never wore muggle clothes. Remember how confused everyone was when they had to wear muggle clothes to travel to the Quidditch World Cup? Remember the guy who was so clueless he wore a women's nightgown? It really doesn't make sense for pure-blood supremacists like Draco to ever wear muggle clothes. He wouldn't be caught dead in jeans. The only way I can make sense of it is to mentally separate the books from the movies and let them each have their own canon. In movie canon, wizards wear jeans and sweaters sometimes, and that's just how it is. On the issue of sorting, I've never fully been able to accept the fact that full families of wizards are all sorted into the same house. Mm. In real life, I don't know anyone whose whole family (laughs) took the Potter No More sorting quiz and were all sorted into the same house. You're really going to tell me that Percy and Fred and George should be sorted the same way? I don't buy it. Personality traits are not hereditary like that. Phew. Okay. Thanks for hearing me out. Love the show. That's a great point. Yep. I love it. I think that that, they're both good points.
2: Do you think the sorting hat gets lazy? With family Maybe. legacies, and it's like
3: uh, another we, Yeah,
0: and Gryffindor. What whatever. did I do with the
3: last six in Gryffindor?
0: I got to get back to the bar.
2: And he just gives people what they want because Hermione was a hat stall, right? And so was Harry, and they're both like, "No, I want not Slytherin or not Ravenclaw." And he was like, "Oh, whatever." <laughs> yeah, the sorting hat's
0: a fraud. We're gonna start spreading <laughs> that rumor now. And alcohol. Sorting hat should have died just like Trelawney.
1: Oh wow. Maybe she should have been wearing it. The sorting of hat
0: should have died. This is dark.
1: Didn't
3: it kind of, though? It got lit on fire.
0: This show is different when we record on weeknights.
1: <laughs> so Shalani
3: should have died because she's a fraud. So I was just uh, like, well...
2: I think we can do an expose about the sorting hat being a fraud.
1: <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh. True life,
0: the sorting hat.
1: Weren't the uh, Patel sisters in different houses, though?
3: Yes. They were.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, finally. So that's at least one example that i can sorting have put some effort in yeah think but, of. but yeah how many weasleys i mean
0: yeah right well and even setting aside the fact that any any family in the muggle world who takes the potter no more quiz you know they all get different houses of course there are different personalities and types of people in every
3: wizarding family too.
0: Not yeah. everybody is the same.
3: Here's, here's the way that it makes sense though. If you value, if you, if you talk about like sortings being based on what your values are, not specifically your personality, but what you value. So Hermione's in Gryffindor because she values bravery above book smarts. And so families do share some of the same values. Values are, taught and learned you know as you grow so that might account for fa- entire families being in the same house if you've like take that way of viewing how sorting works
2: but then how do I... we explain um both alvis severus and scorpius being sorted into slytherin if the sorting hat's approach is to be like, well, your fa- your family informs your values, and we know from talking about Draco that he was very intentional about raising a different kind of child from what his parents mm-hmm. did with him. And I don't think that Harry's values would necess or Jenny's would be necessarily in line with Slytherin values. So at what point does the sorting hat start viewing people as individuals and not like members of a patterned family, you know?
3: It's it's a good question. From what I remember about Curse Child, Albus Severus is really trying to step out of his dad's shadow. So he's thirsty to prove himself, just like Harry was, you know, so many years ago. And so that's why he gets the ambition token, you know, and is sorted into Slytherin. I can't speak to Scorpius. I think that that's a good point about Draco. I'd have to think more about sort of what what Draco would be like as a dad now that we're all really into that uh, whole headspace there.
1: Yeah. I, I think probably too, I mean, this is an easier way to explain it, but from a writing standpoint, if Fred and George were in Slytherin, it wouldn't have been as easy for them to have interacted with Harry in the way that they did. Same for Ginny or any of the other Weasleys. It just, it does. I don't think it works as well. Do you think the uh, sorting hat is just part of a ventriloquist act like Dumbledore sitting there and he's just muttering the names of the houses and (laughs) sort of spits it out
3: like yeah if the hat it's how Dumbledore gets his kick so if the hat were never sentient, it's just Dumbledore doing a bunch of charm I love that
2: and then Dumbledore like gaslights Harry into thinking that it's trying to put him into Slytherin yeah I like how we've totally like cast Dumbledore (laughs) as this Like, kind of evil master manipulator in this circumstance. I mean, he is a manipulator.
1: I mean, you think of the number of things we've done tonight. I mean, what we've made the sorting hat into, what we've made Dobby into, it's just...
3: It's a hell of a case you could build for no more Thursday night recordings,
1: <laughs> or for more of them, depending
2: yeah. on if you really <laughs> it's like getting this real stuff. over here. All right, this next one comes from Molly with regards to our fan fiction episode. Molly said, "I really enjoyed your discussion of fan fiction, and I thought I'd share some of my thoughts since I've been writing and reading fanfiction on and off for about fifteen years now." I started reading Harry Potter fanfic when I was around 12 and then started writing and uploading fanfic a few months later. Note, MuggleNet did reject my first submission. I was super crushed, but did not let that stop me from trying somewhere else. I really oh. hope I wasn't the one who rejected you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's why I gave she you still, this, Laura. <laughs> she still has the email. Oh my Rejected God. by Laura.
2: Okay. I wrote mostly Marauder fix. My... Boyfriend Trilogy is what I'm most known for. I started writing fic because I wanted to be a writer and this seemed like a good way to practice. But now that I'm nearly 30, I don't think people need to say they write fanfic for any other reason than fanfic as an end in itself. There are such amazing people who write really wonderful fics, a huge community now on Archive of Our Own and Tumblr still. I would say that despite the financial gains of things like Fifty Shades, there is still a lot of stigma around writing fanfiction. I think this has a lot to do with the fact that the writers of fanfic are typically marginalized women, young people, people of color, LGBTQ+, and they write stories that feature marginalized characters. Those in power dismiss fanfiction in order to ossify the boundaries between author and audience but so many of the most popular and esteemed works of literature and entertainment would could be described as fan fiction paradise lost is bible fan fiction the Anid is homer fan fiction game of thrones is a song of ice and fire fan fiction in film format, and so is BBC's Sherlock. The difference, in my mind, is that these projects had money and power behind them. They got called adaptations, but really, they're just fan fictions. I think we should investigate more how power plays into these dynamics and stop stigmatizing those who write and read fanfic.
0: I agree. Hey, man. Wow.
2: That wow. was well
0: very well said. Oh my gosh. I'm blown away. Give it up for I will for be Molly. looking at it differently. <laughs> Give it up for Molly, oh. not Weasley.
2: <laughs> or maybe you are Molly Weasley. Who knows?
1: <laughs> yeah, I really like that second to left paragraph. Yeah, I I, th-
3: I like all the paragraphs. I think it's important to cite specific examples though. And mm-hmm. it's really been a trend, I think, over the last twenty years when you realize that they're really when it comes down to it, there are only about seven in like unique stories being told in culture. And we're really just retelling or or modifying those same stories over and over and over again.
2: Yep. Yeah. There are no new ideas.
0: Well,
3: it's been so great listening to
0: all this feedback. Thank you, everybody, for writing in. We love when you contact us. Whether we read your email on air or not, we are reading it. So keep that feedback coming. You all bring up some amazing points and it adds so much to this podcast. So thank you.
1: This actually, I think, has been a lot more fun doing this on video i'm glad you like
0: it this way and thursday nights it's a whole different world whole new Mugglecast. (laughs) really is if you have any feedback you want to contribute you can email mugglecast at gmail.com or use the contact form on mugglecast.com you can also call us 1-920-3-Muggle that's 1-920-368-4453 it's time for quizage
3: This week's question, a witch named Glenda Chittick hosts this program on the Wizarding Wireless Network, dedicated to interviewing musicians. What is the name of the program? The correct answer to last week's question was The Witching Hour. Correct answers were submitted by, oh boy, here we go. Khufu the Baboon, Mrs. Voldy, Mr. Lockhart himself, No One But the Winner, The Sock That Freed Dobby, The Real Fake Matt Britton, Badger Baroness. No, really, I didn't. Duck, duck. Go search this question. Dirty, rotten church kid. Anastasia and the Marauders. Bubatuber. Pause. Sophie Davis. R.M. Subtonic plus A and Harry Potter's scary pigeon. How did this happen? Does, it really is just that snowballed. It's really amazing. I feel like I feel like there was a need that we didn't know there was like a void, and like we opened the door to it, and it yeah. filled. And so the creativity that our listeners feel. Like, just that became the segment. Next week's question. Uh, June 21st is the 18th anniversary of Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, the longest Potter book ever written. How many chapters are contained in book five is the question this week. Submit your answer to us over at the MuggleCast website, MuggleCast.com slash all right, if you could
0: take a moment to do the following, we would appreciate it as all these things help us continue to run and grow the show. Make sure you're following MuggleCast in whatever app you use to listen to the show so that you never miss an episode. You can follow us on social media. We are MuggleCast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And finally, we would love your support at patreon.com MuggleCast. You get ad-free MuggleCast. You get our live streams, which we're now do- doing on video. And as Micah just said, we're having a lot of fun with it. Uh, you get bonus MuggleCast, and this week, we're going to be dropping a new one. We're going to be talking about what if there was a Harry Potter reunion. So let's say Dan, Emma, Rupert, and some other cast members all got together for a reunion. And the reason we wanted to have this discussion is because HBO Max just did a Friends reunion. It was a very big deal. I It, it was such a big deal, I watched it. And I never... Have seen an episode of Friends in my life. But I was just caught up in the hype. So what if they did one for Harry Potter at HBO Max? Because HBO Max is owned by Warner Brothers. So we'll talk about that. We'll kick around some ideas. I have some ideas I'm very excited to pitch to you three. So that'll be available at patreon.com slash mugglecast. There are tons of benefits there, including years of bonus MuggleCast installments so if you pledge today you will get access to everything. Alright that's all. Thanks everybody for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm
1: Eric. I'm Micah.
2: And I'm Laura.
1: Bye everyone. Bye.